Loving God, you knit us together in our mother's womb and breathe us into being. We thank you for the gift of life and for bringing us into this world through our mothers. We recognize the risk they took to carry us, nurture us, and protect us with their bodies. Thank you for the women in our lives, for our mothers, and for those who have been like mothers to us. We are grateful for their tenderness when we were helpless or hurt. We are grateful for their encouragement and wisdom when we were unsure. We are grateful for their correction and perseverance so we could stay true. We are grateful for the way they guided us into your saving embrace. Too often we, look, we took their love and sacrifice for granted, so we ask God that you would forgive us and help us to live in such a way that our words and actions would bring honor to them and to you. Merciful God, gather us all to, your, to the safety of your presence. For many, this day is full of joy and celebration, but for others, it's an especially painful day. And so we pray that you would pour out your healing, your consultation, and peace on those who are grieving the loss of their mother or the loss of their child, on families separated by distance or disagreement, on families plagued by disappointment, abandonment, addiction, or abuse. Compassionate one, we pray that you would shelter us beneath your outstretched arms. Bring your healing, consultation, and peace to women whose desire to be a mother has not yet been fulfilled, to mothers and guardians who are exhausted as they labor to balance work and raising children, to mothers and guardians who are overwhelmed as they struggle to bring up children in the midst of extreme difficulties in life in this world. The need is deep, and so we pray, God, that you would come quickly, because our hope is in you. Gracious God, thank you for every woman and girl here today, and for everyone we have brought with us in our hearts. Reveal your purpose and plan for their lives. Bless them and protect them. Deepen their, lo their love and trust of you. Strengthen them, empower them, anoint them with your Holy Spirit, that their faith, influence, and achievement would bring you honor and glory. Receive our thanks and pray again for these women and women in the making, for they are precious to us and to you. Be with us as we open up your word that you would speak to us this morning, God. It's in your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> we are in the middle of a series called The Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, we've been talking about um, this, the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this great famous sermon that he gave where he talks about what life with him is like. Um, and talking about it in the sense that when we think through life and we even think about what it means to live our lives in our culture today, the pursuit of happiness defines as part of the DNA of our culture. Um, within that, though, um, the happiness that our world and our culture offers us is fleeting, it's temporary. It's not eternal, constant, and secure. And so we've been talking about how within the pursuit of happiness, meaning, and all those different things, that the life that God offers us, the life that Jesus makes possible, is what our hearts are craving, what our hearts long for, what we were made for. And so we've been talking about these beatitudes in the sense of, you want to see what life with Jesus is like? Well, there's wonderful news for this life, for those living this. This is what you're receiving. And we've been going through them one at a time. This morning, we're talking about um, the next beatitude verse in Matthew 5, verse 7, which says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, what is mercy? I think that a lot of times when people think mercy, they might think like Roman times and the Colosseum. If you've seen the Gladiator movie, Commodus from the Gladiator movie just 
everyone holding their breath to see if he's going to give thumbs up or thumbs down and mercy. And is he going to go, ah, no, or is he going to give thumbs up? That's sometimes what I think, uh, maybe not to that extreme, but that's what we think of with mercy. And I mean, yeah, maybe a little, little bit. But that concept is also majorly missing the depth of what mercy is, especially in the biblical sense of the word. The idea talked about in this beatitude, when we talk about mercy and being merciful, is showing kindness or concern to one in serious need. To be merciful is to show kindness or concern to one in serious need. Now, the important thing when we read this and what Jesus is saying is that there's no clarification whatsoever as to why there's a need. There's no qualification as far as what the need is or who the person, need, person is that has the need. There's no qualifier to be kind and have concern when there is a need before us. That is to be merciful. He just simply makes the proclamation. Wonderful news for those who've shown kindness and concern for anyone in serious need, regardless of why that need is. D.A. Carson explains it, that mercy is a loving response prompted by the misery and helplessness of the one on whom the love is being showed. Kent Hughes says, the basic idea of mercy is to give help, is to help the wretched, to relieve the miserable. Here, the essential thought is that mercy gives attention to those in misery. From this, we make the important distinction between mercy and grace. Grace is shown to the undeserving. Mercy is compassionate to the miserable. And this idea, this difference of what grace and mercy is that he brings up is really important because sometimes we use these words interchangeably and they do, they're definitely two sides of the same coin, best friends, but they are very different things. Grace deals with sin itself. We are given something we don't deserve. Mercy deals with the consequences of sin, the brokenness, the pain, the misery, and addresses those realities regardless of how they came about. John Stott says, talking about the difference, grace extends pardon, mercy extends relief. Grace cleanses and reinstates. Mercy cures, heals, and helps. And so when we think about this, this idea of mercy, this idea of showing kindness and concern to one in serious need, there's some different dynamics to this within the complexity of the idea that we really have to grasp. First off is that mercy shows compassion. Mercy shows compassion. Jesus tells the story in Luke chapter 10 of a guy who got jumped by thieves as he was traveling through the countryside. He was beaten and he's left for dead on the side of the road. The text doesn't tell us anything about the guy. He could have been anyone. He doesn't mention anything about his ethnicity. He doesn't tell us if, what the guy's like. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Did he pay his taxes? Did he vote for this person? Does he cheer for this team? Does he put ketchup on his hot dog? He doesn't mention any of that stuff. It simply just says, this guy was wounded. He was robbed. And he's left on the side of the road. Two different Jewish religious leaders come by. The examples of religious living to the community. 
They see this guy laying on the road and they do nothing. The traveler's situation doesn't jar them. It doesn't move them. And they just pass on by. They keep going. But then Jesus says another guy comes along and says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the traveler was. And when the Samaritan saw the traveler, the Samaritan had compassion. He went, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The Samaritan is showing the reality of mercy here, the compassionate side of mercy. He's experiencing empathy, affection, sympathy for what this, the situation this guy is in. He doesn't say, well, you shouldn't have been traveling at night like that, you dummy. No, he sees the guy on the side of the road and he helps him. To show mercy towards somebody is to be moved by their need. Too often we focus, like I said, on how the person got into their situation and not on how we can have empathy toward their circumstances. Well, again, if you hadn't made that decision, if you hadn't got into that relationship, if you haven't bought that necessary thing, if you had worked harder, if you had made a better decision, if you hadn't crossed the border, yeah, we're going straight to the juggler on these. Do we, are we willing to show compassion to kindness to somebody in extreme need, in need, regardless of who they are and regardless of how they got into that situation? Let's be clear on what Jesus is clear on. We don't get to pick and choose who experiences mercy. People who follow Jesus don't pass by those in need. And we don't rationalize why we should be able to pass them up. We show mercy to those who are in need. Mercy shows compassion. Mercy also grants forgiveness. Mercy also grants forgiveness. Jesus tells another story in Matthew 18 about a servant who owed what would have been like $2 billion to his master, to his boss. And he comes before him and he pleads his case and, oh, and gives this whole like spiel and the master has mercy on him and forgives all of his debt. I mean, really, it's unheard of. Imagine, I mean, I'm assuming that everybody in here might have a little bit of debt. Maybe a tad. There might be somebody that has zero, and we're all really jealous of you. But the majority of us have at least a little bit. Imagine it being in debt $2 billion. Some of you, that made you feel a little bit of relief about what the debt is, or you just add more stress. And it's forgiven. You get the letter, you get the phone call, you get the message. All of your debt is forgiven. You don't owe any of that anymore. And think about the sense of relief. Some of you, would, we would faint right there in the moment. Weep of joy. We can't believe we've been forgiven for this. That's what this guy experienced. He was debt of two billion was forgiven. But then right after this, right after getting the letter, right after getting the phone call, he runs into somebody who owed him $4,000, just a few grand. And again, that's still a decent chunk of change, but it's not $2 billion. These two are drastically different with one another. I mean, I went to Bible college, and I know those two amounts are not the same. <laughs> 
Those are very different. And the sky forgiven $2 billion won't forgive the guy who only owed him 4000 In fact, Jesus' story, he says that the guy, he grabs and chokes him. Give me my money. It's like a mob shakedown. Where's my money? Puts him against the wall. Where's my 4000 Not forgiving him the debt, but expecting it to him. The master who forgave the $2 billion hears about it and calls the servant to him and says, The master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on, those, on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to you, everyone, to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The master, what the master is saying is that mercy should produce mercy. Mercy produces forgiveness. The mercy which we have received, the forgiveness which we have received, we should extend to others. Now remember, we truly understand and appreciate the forgiveness which Jesus has given to us when we extend it to other people. To not forgive is to have a skewed view of what Jesus has done for you. To not be willing to forgive. That doesn't mean that you and the person might be reconciled. There might be extreme cases where we can't be in a relationship with somebody anymore, or just for safety or mental health or whatever that might be. We don't come back into relationship with the person, but we don't withhold forgiveness because forgiveness has not been withheld from us. Forgiveness, mercy produces forgiveness. R.T. France says, mercy sets aside society's assumption that it is honorable to demand revenge. That it isn't, ah, this person deserves this, I'm going to stick it to them. No, I'm going to pardon them. I'm going to forgive them because I know that I've been forgiven. Take, so mercy grants forgiveness. Take the fact that mercy shows compassion with mercy grants forgiveness and you get the final thing to understand about mercy that we need to grasp is that mercy takes action. Mercy takes action. It's not just a feeling. Mercy isn't just a feeling that comes over us. It's something that we do toward another person. The Samaritan went to the man on the road and helped him. The unforgiving servant should have pardoned, forgiven this person. People who follow Jesus cannot be dormant. We don't just feel things for people. We act upon them. Kent Hughes puts it this way, if we remain impassive or callous to human need and refuse to do anything about it, we need to take a good long look at ourselves and see if we are really believers. And that cuts to the chase. I'm, I'm going to withhold compassion from this person. I'm going to withhold forgiveness from this person. I'm not going to show this person what God has shown me because of what they've done or the decisions they've made or anything else, then you have to ask yourself if you really... I just hit my thing there, sorry. Bad amen. Um, you have to really ask yourself, are you a follower of Christ? Because followers of Christ don't do that. 
People who have received life from Jesus, we don't do that. To receive the life what Jesus has given us is to receive a life that shows compassion, is to receive a life that shows forgiveness, is to receive a life that shows mercy. In fact, in Matthew 28, when Jesus talks about the final judgment and the idea of confirming who does and doesn't know him, those who act in kindness and concern and need for others, and, for, and those who clearly do, are those who do something, who act, who move toward the need. And those who clearly do not know them are those who pass over need. The evidence, the truth that we have received the life that God has provided for us is does mercy come out of us? If we show compassion, if we extend forgiveness, that's proof that we have that. If we're withholding, we ask that really ask some hard questions about who we are with the Lord. So mercy shows compassion. Mercy grants forgiveness, grants forgiveness and mercy takes action. Is this verse saying that we have to show mercy to receive mercy? Blessed are the mercifuls, merciful, for they shall receive mercy. No, that's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. And that's why this is wonderful news. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It, it does it, the, within, the reason why it's not saying that, show, show mercy, grant forgiveness, take action, and only then we'll say it, is because we look at other parts of Scripture, which talk about, we look at other parts of Scripture, and they clearly talk about the fact that we can't earn salvation. We can't impress God. We don't work to obtain God's love, grace, nor his mercy. So the rest of Scripture confirms the reality. You don't have to do things in order to receive from God. God grants mercy because he's merciful. And you're, he's not going to withhold mercy from you or I based on what we do or not do. Then what does it mean? We'll go back to what we said about the unforgiving servant. The unforgiving servant didn't realize the depth of the forgiveness that was offered to him. He didn't realize his own inability to do anything about his debt and, and that he needed grace from another person. This beatitude is talking about the opposite of that servant. The merciful are those who do realize they are desperate for mercy. They, are, they realize their inability to make themselves right with God. This is about those who realize their need for Jesus. Ken Hughes says, The merciful person remembers his own sin and God's mercy to him. He understands the weaknesses of others and he forgives. D.A. Carson says, The one who is not merciful is inevitably so unaware of his own state that he thinks he needs no mercy. He cannot picture himself as miserable and wretched. So how shall God be merciful toward him? And he gets to the heart of it. To follow Jesus is to be aware of our need for him, our need for a savior, our need for ongoing help, our need for mercy, his love, our need for his grace. This spiritual self-awareness is what is central here to this beatitude. Why is it blessed, wonderful nudes for the merciful? Because if you're showing mercy, then you know the truth of your need for mercy. If you're showing mercy to other people, then, then you've seen the reality of God giving mercy to you. You are giving what you've received. 
The spirit, from our place of needing mercy, we come to Jesus asking for it. And from our place of needing mercy, we extend it toward others. That's why this is wonderful news, is God gives it to us freely, and we extend it to others freely as well. How do we do that, though? How do we live as merciful people? Well, D.A. Carson, he raises some important questions in his discussion of the Beatitudes. First one is, am I merciful or condescending to the wretched? When I, and really, when you see news reports of people in situations we would call wretched, do you respond with a merciful tone or a condescending tone? I understand what some of our newscasters report. I'm asking, are you like Jesus, not them? I understand how our politicians talk about people in different situations. But are we responding the way Jesus would? Are we merciful or condescending to the wretched? Are my gentle or hard-nosed toward the downtrodden? Am I helpful or callous toward the backslidden? Am I compassionate or impatient with the fallen? And here's how you really know if you're embracing the mercy of the Lord and extending it to others. When you don't ask the question, but how long do I need to put up with this? Because the minute you start asking, but how long do I have to keep putting up with this? How long do I have to let this go? How long, you know what, is it about you or is it about the person finding Jesus? If God's per- perfect, long-lasting patience is directed toward us, shouldn't we at least attempt to be patient and long-suffering with others as well? I'm not saying that there's not moments where we have to speak the truth, hard truth, in love. And I'm not saying there aren't moments when we have to set boundaries. But too often we rationalize ourselves out of doing the difficult work of showing mercy toward people rather than entering the messiness and the tension and showing them the kindness and concern that they desperately need. But they don't deserve it. They've done this. That's the entire point of mercy. That's the entire point of mercy is it doesn't matter the situation. Yes, you're right. Everything that we would point to about the situation, they shouldn't be there. Should, yes, that's true. And that's why we have to show mercy. That's why we have to show mercy. And so two things for showing mercy, a principle to remember and a question to ask. The principle I've already just got done hitting on. A person's sin is not a valid reason for us to withhold mercy. There is, you cannot look to anything anyone has done and say, mm, okay, I don't have to be merciful with them. Mm, okay, they crossed the line. Now I don't have, uh, no mercy. There is no one that you can think of, that you can interact with, that is any better or worse than you or I, because we're not comparing that person to you or I. We're comparing that person and you and I to a holy God. And comparing who we are to him, we are all on level ground, desperately in need of him. And just because you have realized your need for him and somebody else hasn't, doesn't mean that you get to withhold mercy. And so who is the person you haven't shown kindness and concern toward? Or withheld it until they check some boxes. 
Because that's not mercy. And that's not reflective of the heart of God. A person's sin is not a valid reason for us to withhold mercy. That's the principle to remember. Here's the question to ask. What else could be going on that I don't see or know about? Because, I mean, we can go to the really big things, the worst of conflicts, the worst of decisions, but we also withhold mercy and we need to be people of mercy in just the day-to-day reality of our lives. You know, how many times has conflict happened because of that person looked at me the wrong way or they didn't show up to this thing or whatever that might be? And we immediately pass judgment without at least just having, being merciful and going, maybe something happened that I don't know about. Maybe they're carrying something or processing something or whatever that might be and I don't know about it. And so we just need to ask and be thoughtful What else is happening here? When I was, and Jeanette and I did youth ministry for a long time, and we would take our youth groups to summer camp, and it was always the biggest, most awesome thing. And um, one of my mentors who helped lead the camp, I remember one time him and I were talking, and there was some students, some of mine, who snuck out and were smoking in a field one night. And we were talking about it, like how to deal with it, and like he was asking a lot of questions about them, and he made this statement. You know, I only have them for a week. You have them for the whole year. So anytime something like this happens at camp, I don't want to address the thing that happened at camp. I want to ask myself, what's been going on all year? I don't want to just deal with the symptom that happened in the field last night. I want to understand the cause of what would drive a student to make bad decisions like that to go in the field. And what's going on in this person's life? What is the thing under the thing. I mean, yeah, they snuck out and went smoking, but what's going on underneath there? That's being merciful. That is the epitome of mercy. I think about him trying to speak that into my life. I think about all of the little daily things that we deal with. People in the church, your coworkers, your neighbors, family, where we immediately pass judgment. We understand without at least thinking, maybe something else was going on. And maybe we need to really be mindful and thoughtful to at least try to understand and being merciful within that rather than withholding. So that's a question that we have to ask. You have to ask, I have to ask. Who is the person that I've been withholding mercy from because of the thing in their life? Because it's time for me to repent of my wrong actions and ungodliness and show them mercy. And whatever that looks like. And maybe you don't know what that looks like, but just getting to the point that you know you have to show it to them, that's a huge thing and that's awesome. You can figure out the logistics of mercy. You have to get to the conviction that you need to be showing mercy. And so who's the person you've been withholding mercy from? Because they haven't checked the boxes. Because they did this thing or whatever it is. And what does it look like? God, show me what it looks like to show mercy to them. And within just the day-to-day life, what are the moments that we need to go underneath? God, give me patience. Give me, help me to be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. Because being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger helps me act merciful towards somebody, not judging towards somebody. 
If I'm reacting, if I haven't taken a breath to ask what's going on here that I don't get, and I'm just responding, then I'm reacting. And I might be doing the more damage than any type of good. What else could be going on that I don't see or know about? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's all because of Jesus. It says in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Titus 3, When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sin, giving us a new birth, and him through the Holy Spirit. That is so important for us to grasp if we're going to be people of mercy. What does it say again? He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done. He didn't save us because we were doing anything right. He saved us because we are, he was merciful. Because we're in a situation we shouldn't be because of sin and, and everything like that. We're experiencing the brokenness. He saved us because he's merciful, not because we've done anything. And we need to extend mercy to people, regardless if they're right or wrong. If all we want to do is help somebody know that, make sure somebody knows how wrong they are and how right we are, and they don't experience the love and presence of God, then we have to come to the conclusion and come to the grips with the reality we're not living as people who follow Jesus. We're doing something else. It doesn't mean that we don't call out sin. It has to happen. But if all you want to do is call out sin and not point to the saving, gracious, merciful Jesus, then there's something else going on in our hearts. And we don't truly understand Jesus. He saved us not because of the righteousness things we have done, but because of his mercy. In Hebrews 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so as in light of thinking of that, let us then with confidence come to the presence of the Lord. With confidence come into his presence and receive mercy. Receive concern, help because of our need. And grace to help in time of need. We're going to come before him together as a community. And so we're going to end service today by receiving communion. Um, we're going to, if you've never done communion with us before, 